All right. Praise the Lord. Let's go ahead and get started. Um, if there's anyone here for the first time, we need to let you know we've been in the book of Exodus, and um, we've already covered the portion that has to do with man's need. Man needs to be saved from the world, rescued out of bondage, redeemed, um, supplied, and refreshed, and so forth. But then about halfway through the book of Exodus, there's a shift. And God says, let them make a tabernacle for me, a dwelling place for me, that I may dwell in their midst. So God has a need. He needs uh, a place where he and man can come together and commune and fellowship and so forth. And that is the tabernacle in the Old Testament. But that tabernacle uh, is a picture and a type of the reality that we experience in the New Testament. So we are going through all the details of this tabernacle and seeing how they apply to us, how we can experience these different aspects. Um, tonight, we're on a very specific piece of furniture inside the holy place in the tabernacle, and that is called the golden lampstand. So we'll spend the evening talking about the golden lampstand. Uh, before we do that, let me say this. Um, we're, we hope that you all are, as you're, as you're paying attention, you're taking notes, underlining, circling, and so forth. And then when you group up afterwards for about 10 minutes, you'll be fellowshipping and getting into it. Uh, there's even some questions at the end for just to stimulate some fellowship in your group time. And then we hope at the very end, the last few minutes, five or ten minutes, we just reserve that time for you all to uh, just stand up and speak what you enjoyed, what you saw, what you were touched with, what your experience has been, and so forth. This really adds to the message. It really fills it out and gives it some fullness. So we need your portion. So be thinking in that direction. Uh, so let's take a look here at the first two verses on the page, Exodus 25, 31, and 37a. How about we read these all together? Go. You shall make a lamp of pure gold. Shall be of one piece with it, and you shall make its lamp seven. Okay, I just selected this verse and a half out of the whole section of verses on the lampstand, just because we don't have time to get into all the details. But from this short little description here, uh, we believe that the lampstand looks something like the picture to the left, okay? We don't know exactly what it looks like. And the reason is because it was made out of one solid lump of gold that was beaten into the shape of this lampstand with three branches on each side. And, it, and in the description there, notice that it says uh, it has a base and a shaft uh, made of beaten work, and it says its cups, its calyxes, its blossom buds shall be of one piece with it. So, and in some of the verses it tells us it, it was almond blossoms. So, based on the description, we believe it looked like an almond tree, okay? Something that's full of life, 
that's growing, that's budding, that's blossoming, and that's shining forth the light of God. Uh, <clears throat> and then, um, if you, okay, now, you know, this is from Exodus, which is near the beginning of the Bible, right? Of the 66 books in the Bible, we're back, way back in the, close to the beginning. But at the very end of the Bible, we have these verses in Revelation chapter 1. Let's read these together. Go. When I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. So one thing uh, that you need to realize is that the Bible is consistent in its thought, in its revelation. The revelation progresses. It starts there in the beginning in Genesis and Exodus, and the revelation progresses all the way to the end of the Bible. At the beginning of the Bible, what we want to see here concerning these, the uh, intrinsic significance of the golden lampstand is that this lampstand signifies Christ, who is the embodiment of the triune God. But by the time we get to the end of the Bible, we see that this lampstand also signifies something else. It's Christ multiplied, Christ reproduced into many lampstands, okay? And those are the churches. Did you know that the church is just the reproduction, the multiplication, the increase of Christ? It's not, the, it's not a building on the corner with stained glass windows. It's not even just a congregation of people that pursue Christ. The church is the multiplication and the reproduction of Christ on the earth. So we'll see this as we progress through this outline. Uh, concerning the lampstand signifying Christ as the embodiment of the triune God, one says the pure gold. You know, gold, and I think some of the brothers that shared in the past messages have shared that gold signifies the divine nature. In the Bible, whenever we see gold mentioned, it points to the divine, holy uh, nature, the uncorrupted, incorruptible nature of God. You know, gold is a noble element. It's very unique. Of all the other elements on the whole earth, gold is very unique. It doesn't interact with anything. It doesn't corrupt. It doesn't corrode. It doesn't rust. And the Holy Spirit has chosen to use gold in the Bible to signify or to point to the divine, holy nature of God, the incorruptible divine nature. Number two, uh, it says a beaten form. So the divine nature is the divine nature of God, the Father, the Source. But the beaten form refers to Christ. Um, you know, these, these verse reference here, 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 and Colossians 1.15, it talks about how Christ is the image of God. He's the image of the invisible God. And then in 2.9 of Colossians, it says that He, in Him, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. That's why we say Christ is the embodiment of the triune God. And this lampstand, which is solid gold, it's pure gold, has a form, it has an image, and that is Christ. And then you come to the lamps. There's seven lamps. And the verse reference there, Revelation 4, 5, it says that the 
Seven lamps are the seven spirits of God. So this points to the spirit. Of course, we know there's just one spirit, but by the time we get to the book of Revelation, this one spirit is sevenfold intensified to counter all the darkness and degradation in this age and to intensify God's work in us and on us to produce what he's after. So the seven lamps point to the spirit. So we have the pure gold, we have the beaten form, the image, and we have the seven lamps pointing to the Father, the Son, and the Spirit this lampstand signifies Christ as the embodiment of the triune God. Then, B says it also signifies the local churches as the reproduction of Christ. Of course, we read those verses in Revelation, but some of you might have this question, wait a minute, how can Christ be reproduced or multiplied? He's unique, right? Well, we put this verse, John 12, here. How about we read this all together? Go. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless the grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it abides alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Well, in this verse, the Lord Jesus himself referred to himself as a grain of wheat. And he said, if I don't fall into the ground and die, I'm going to abide alone. If you take a grain of wheat and you just place it here on the table, it just stays there. Nothing happens to it. They found some grains of wheat in the pyramids in Egypt that they estimated to be 1,200 years old, but they weren't in the right condition. They weren't buried. They hadn't died yet. They were still alive. And they planted them in the ground, and guess what? They came up in resurrection. They germinated. That shows the life inside was still there. Well, Christ, if he didn't go through the process of death and resurrection, he would have just uh, abided alone. But, praise the Lord, he did go into the ground, right? The outer seed coat died and decomposed, and out of the ground came Christ in a new form, the life-giving spirit. And, uh, <clears throat> but this one grain of wheat, it went into the ground, but it came out and produced many grains. And what's the difference between the one grain that went in the ground and the many grains that came out? Same life, same nature, same essence, well, Christ, after his death and resurrection, it says that he became the firstborn of many brothers. And here we are today as the many brothers of Christ who have received Christ, who are now part of the reproduction of Christ and the multiplication of Christ on the earth. But God doesn't want just a whole bunch of grains scattered all over the place. He wants these grains built up together, right? He wants the believers built together into one entity, uh, to become a lampstand in each locality. In every city, there would be a lampstand, bright and shining as the reproduction of Christ, expressing God on the earth. So this in brief, <laughs> very brief, we could spend a whole conference on this first Roman numeral, uh, but in brief, I hope you could just pick up uh, some understanding of the intrinsic significance of the golden lampstand. Now let's move on to Roman numeral two. It says, subjectively experiencing the detailed aspects of the golden lampstand. Well, if this golden lampstand really signifies Christ, then all the details related to it must be for our experience. Christ does not want to remain far away in the heavens somewhere. He wants to come down and get inside and start working and operating and have us experience Him, right? So... Um, 
every detail, and there's lots and lots of details. We just, sorry, we just don't have the time. I've, I've actually shared on this topic before a couple of times, and I've brought into this room actual tree branches and flower buds and so forth just to get into the details and show you, but you'll have to go get the audios from past years on that. <laughs> We're just going to focus in on one particular thing in Roman numeral 3, but here I just put four particular details that we can uh, experience of this golden lampstand. A says paying the price to gain more gold. Well, when we first received Christ, God got imparted. He got dispensed into our spirit. So now, Theo, there is gold in your spirit. Gold is there. You're a golden man, at least in one-third of your being. But listen, this golden God, he wants to spread. He wants to grow. He wants to make inroads into the rest of your being, into your soul, so that your soul would express this golden God. And all, all his attributes would be expressed through our human virtues. Uh, well, to gain the gold, we have to pay a price. You know, if I want to purchase an ounce of gold today, I have to pay a price. I don't, it's, what is it, $1,500 an ounce or $2,000 an ounce now? You have to pay a price to gain gold. In the same way, um, to gain God, we have to pay a price. And I would say mainly for us as college students, what we have is time. We may not have a whole lot of other stuff, but we do have time. And to spend time with God. It, it takes a price. We have to suffer the loss of other things. What's taking my time right now? All the, my studies at school, my job, uh, my entertainment, uh, all this kind of stuff. Well, I have to give up something in order to spend time with him. Did you enjoy singing that hymn tonight about take time to behold him? We have to take time to behold the Lord, to be in his presence. Um, but as we do, take the time to pray, to be in his word, to fellowship with him, to be with the members of his body uh, in, in this fellowship. You know what's happening? More gold is being imparted into our being. Uh, then B says, participating in Christ's sufferings for the producing and building up of the body of Christ. Remember, this lampstand that, uh, that is Christ and that is us, we're becoming this lampstand, um, it was a beaten work, a beaten work. It was formed out of one lump of gold. It was almost 100 pounds, one talent of gold. It was 100 pounds of gold, and they just beat it with a hammer until it was formed into the shape with the six branches and the calyxes and the buds and the blossoms and the cups that held the oil and so forth. It was all one beaten work. Well, Christ, from his very birth, from his very incarnation, uh, he endured a lot of beating. You know, just, just incarnation itself, you think about that, the the almighty, eternal, unlimited God became a finite little man of flesh. 
Of course, we know his flesh didn't have sin in it, but nevertheless, it was flesh of the old creation. What a condescension. What a limitation. What a suffering. And then, even before he was a few years old, he was chased out of his hometown and had to go down to Egypt. He was chased by, Fer by uh, Herod, right? Herod wanted to kill all the kids that were two years old and younger. And the Holy Spirit told his parents, Get, take him down to Egypt. He was persecuted, even from a young child. And then he was misunderstood all his life. By the time he was 30, he was baptized, he began his ministry, and the religious people began to persecute him. And even his disciples misunderstood him a lot. Um, what a suffering. He suffered not only physical abuse, but mental abuse, psychological abuse, spiritual abuse, until finally the ultimate when he was crucified. Right? He was whipped. The nails went through his body. He had a crown of thorns. All the suffering and the beating and so forth. Uh, well, this suffering of Christ that he accomplished for our redemption, we have no part, we have zero part in that suffering. So what does it mean here, participating in Christ's sufferings? for the producing and building up of the body of Christ. Let's read Colossians 1.24. Go. I now rejoice in my sufferings on your behalf and fill up on my part that which is lacking of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body, which is the church. Brothers and sisters, there are some sufferings and afflictions that we go through that are the result of our being a believer in Christ, and they are for the church. You know, of the sufferings that human beings go through, there's different categories. One category of suffering is suffering that we bring on ourselves by our stupidity and our mistakes. <laughs> I, I did something really stupid a little less than a year ago, and I'm still suffering because of it. Even yesterday, I had to go to a particular department and fill out some paperwork and do this and that. I'm like, man, when is this going to be over? But it was a stupid mistake. I didn't consult with others and made a mistake. That's not the suffering we're talking about. Then some people suffer because of health issues, difficult job situation, um, hard professors in college. Child rearing can be a suffering. A lot of sufferings. But you know what? These kind of sufferings, every human being goes through. Whether you're a believer or an unbeliever, all human beings go through some kind of sufferings. These are not the sufferings that we're talking about related to the body of Christ. The ones that we're talking about here where Paul says, I rejoice in my sufferings on your behalf and fill up on my part that which is lacking of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body, which is the church. These are the sufferings and the afflictions that we face and, and go through because we are believers in Christ. Christ lives in us. We are pursuing him. We're suffering the loss of other things and pursuing Christ. And because of that, we will be misunderstood, 
we will be persecuted. We will go through various trials and afflictions. And this will make up what is lacking of the afflictions of Christ for his body. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 12, 24, it says, But our comely members have no need, but God has blended the body together. This word blended here can also mean tempered, harmonized. Uh, you know, like I mentioned, God doesn't want a bunch of individual believers. He wants them built together in harmony, in oneness. Well, here we are. We're from different cultures, different backgrounds, different races, different upbringings, different concepts about how to do things, and, and, and we have to be one. We have to be built up together. There's going to be some friction, Sam. There's going to be some friction. There's going to be some affliction, some suffering uh, in our soul life. Well... <clears throat> You know, to temper a piece of steel, a blacksmith puts that in a fire and heats it up until it's red hot. And then he dips it quickly in cold water. And then, and he might even hammer it some. And then he dips it in the fire again until it gets red hot. And then he dips it in the cold water again so it cools down quickly. Hot, cold, hot, cold. Eventually the molecular structure of that metal becomes different. And it hardens, becomes more strong. This is tempering. God has tempered the body. He's tempering the body through these kind of sufferings. You know, it, it, it's a, there are afflictions and sufferings and dealings that come when we have to begin to coordinate together to carry out something for the Lord. Because we have different ways, we have different thoughts, different concepts, different opinions. So the Lord is gaining us in this way. And you know what's coming out? A shape, a form is coming out this, that matches Christ and that expresses Christ on the earth. So this is a marvelous thing that we can participate in these kind of sufferings for the producing and building up of the body of Christ. Then C says, being fully open to the Lord, allowing Him to shine on and enlighten our inward parts. Searching, burning, infusing, supplying. I, I put these words here because the, the seven spirits of God are likened to uh, lamps of fire in one verse, in, in chapter 4, verse 5 of Revelation. But in another verse, 5, 6, they're likened to the eyes of the Lamb, the seven eyes of the Lamb. These are the seven spirits of God. What do eyes do? Eyes search. And even eyes infused. Sometimes I just look at my wife and I don't have to, she doesn't have to say a word, but she's infusing her feeling into my being and I know what she's thinking. So the Lord, as we spend time with Him um, and we're just wide open to the Lord, He comes as the seven spirits of God and He searches and He burns and He infuses and He supplies. Um, <clears throat> You know, we don't have to be afraid of his searching and burning because whenever there's the searching and burning, there's also simultaneously the supply and the infusion. 
Anyways, this is part of the experience, the subjective experience of the detailed aspects of the golden lampstand. And then D says, being in resurrection, not in our natural life, in order to shine forth the light of life. So with C, we have him coming in and shining and exposing. There's a lot of dark areas in our being. He needs to come in and shine and expose so that he can, he can make inroads and make his home there. Uh, but then we need to come up in resurrection and shine forth God to the ones around us, right? If we're just remaining in our natural life, there's no shining. But when we enjoy Christ, uh, there's a shining there, shining out the light of life. This almond tree lampstand is full of resurrection. You know, resurrection in the Bible is signified by the number three, and here you have three branches on either side. Resurrection is uh, signified by almond. You know, almond in the Old Testament signifies resurrection. I think... Uh, Chris Lynch touched on that a few weeks ago because the, the rod of Aaron was put into the Ark of the Testimony and the next morning it had budded and blossomed and even put forth ripe almonds, testifying of the resurrection life of, of Christ. So almond points to resurrection. This whole lampstand is full of, of resurrection. Um, so when we enjoy Christ and are brought into the resurrection life of Christ, then this light shines forth. Now, Roman numeral three is where my main burden is for tonight. It says, enjoying the maintenance of the golden lampstand. This lampstand has to be maintained. And on the one hand, this is a particular specific aspect of our experience of the lampstand but it's also kind of in a whole nother category, the maintenance of the golden lampstand. Um, A says, receiving Christ's heavenly ministry of cherishing and nourishing his shepherding. Okay, the first verse here is Exodus 30, verse seven. It says, and Aaron shall burn on it fragrant incense. That's, he's burning incense on the, uh, on the incense altar. And then it says this, every morning when he dresses the lamps, he shall burn it. That's burn the incense on the incense altar. But every morning he dresses the lamps. This is Aaron, this is the priest, has to come into the holy place and dress the lamps every morning. What does it mean to dress the lamp? What does that mean to you, Jasmine? Put some clothing on it or... <laughs> Put candles? Well, no, this, uh, these lamps were not candles. They were olive oil. And there was a wick inside, and they lit the wick, and it burned. Um, they were oil lamps. But how do you dress the lamp? Well, uh, <clears throat> again, at the tip of each branch, there was a cup. This cup, well... In botanical terms, the calyx and the petals are fused together for a short distance to form a cup before they each branch off. And that cup is where the, the oil was, the, the olive oil. And then in 
the olive oil, there was a wick made out of cotton. And, uh, you know, when the oil uh, is soaked into the cotton and you light the tip of the cotton, it, it burns, right? And the oil is burning, but the cotton wick is not burning. It's pretty interesting, right? The wick is soaking up the oil, and the flame is on the tip, burning the oil on the tip of the cotton, but the cotton itself is not burning. But if the oil gets low, the wick gets longer, and it takes a longer time for the oil to get absorbed and up to the cotton, so the cotton wick starts to burn, and it starts to get charred, and it starts to get smoky. Have you ever seen a smoking wick on a candle? It's because the wick got too long. So every morning, the priest had to come into the holy place and trim the charred wick off and add fresh oil. This is what it means to dress the lamps, to trim away the charred wick and to add the fresh oil. Now, in this lampstand, uh, <clears throat> you know, remember, we talked about how this lampstand signifies Christ. Christ is both divine and human, right? And you remember last week when we talked about the showbread table, which also signifies Christ from a whole different perspective, that was acacia wood overlaid with gold. The gold signifies the divine nature. The, the acacia wood signifies the human nature. And this is Christ. He was a God-man. But what about the lampstand? It says it was pure gold. Is there anything there that would signify the humanity? Well, it's the wick. It's the cotton wick. There's some other things, too, that point to humanity, but this is the one I want to focus on, the cotton wick. It was made out of the plant material. It was not gold. It signifies the humanity. Now listen, Christ's humanity is perfect. His humanity could never get charred, but our humanity does. You see, we're becoming a reproduction of this lampstand, and we have a humanity that is short, that's fallen, it gets charred, and it becomes smoky when the oil gets low. We need Christ to come to us to trim away the charred wick he comes as the high priest. He comes in the morning to trim the wick down, the charred part off. That's, you'll see in the reading, it's called the snuff. There's snuffers to come in and snuff or cut off the charred part of the wick. And he adds the fresh oil so that these lamps can burn brightly and in a clean way with no smoke. Um, you know, we, we have this kind of experience all the time. Just a few days ago, I had this experience. I, on, uh, on Sunday, I was in a meeting, and, uh, and all of a sudden, somebody said something, and it was like the carpet got yanked out from underneath my feet. It was like I got punched in the stomach and lost my breath. I was like, what's going on? <laughs> and it just bothered me. And then the next day, uh, I couldn't even, it was hard to get over it. 
I think I, for 30 minutes at one point in the day, I just sat there and stared off into space, like, just threw up my arms, like, what's the point? <laughs> and then uh, the next morning, on Tuesday morning, I had to get with some, some brothers and sisters. And we were singing and praying. And then I just opened my mouth and my opinion came out about this thing that happened on Sunday. My opinion, you know, the opinion is the uh, expression of the self. Let, let me read something on the, you'll read this in a minute, but it says here, the snuff, the charred part of the wick, signifies the things that are not according to God's purpose and need to be cut off, such as sin, the world, the flesh, the natural man, the self, the old creation. Well, my opinion, the expression of myself came out. And, you know, I don't think the brothers and sisters could see much, but if they had special glasses on to see, they would have seen smoke coming out of my ears. <laughs> I was ready to throw somebody under the bus, and uh, it was just my opinion about this. The oil was low. It was hard to touch the Lord, so the oil was low. The wick was burning and getting charred, and there was smoke in the room. Anyways, by the Lord's mercy... I got to him. At some point, I got to the Lord, and I just began to open to the Lord, and the high priest came. He came with his golden instruments to trim away the charred wick, the snuff, to add the fresh oil. You know, he just came. He said, don't you know who I am? I had just been reading the book of Acts. You know, we're in Acts now on our reading schedule, and I had just read that this Christ is the author of life. I, I read that. And it's like the Lord as the high priest was there just speaking to me. Don't you know who I am? I'm the author of life. Don't you know who I am? I'm the sovereign master. Did you all see that phrase in your reading of Acts? The sovereign master. I'm over everything. I'm overruling everything. Anyways, as the Lord spoke these things to me in my Bible reading and my opening to him, charred wick was cut off and fresh oil was added. And tonight, I'm happy. I just feel so bright, uh, so pleasant. I hope there's no smoke in the room anymore. <laughs> but we have these kind of experiences. And... Uh, but the point is, we have to get to him. And in Exodus 30, verse 7, it says, Every morning when he dresses the lamps. This is the high priest, which is a figure of Christ. Because take a look at the next verse. Let's read Revelation 1.13 together. Go. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment reaching to the feet, and girded about at the breast with a golden girdle. This is Christ coming as the son of man, but look what he's wearing. He's wearing the priestly garments. And he's there in the midst of the lampstands. He's walking among the lampstands to dress the lamps, to trim off the charred wick, to add the fresh oil. This is our Christ. And I want you to underline this phrase, the son of man. It's interesting. It doesn't say the son of God, although we know he is the son of God. But it says he's the son of man here as the priest coming 
among the lampstands. And what I like about this uh, is seen in the next verse in Hebrews 4, 15. It says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot be touched with the feeling of our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all respects like us, yet without sin. When he comes to us in the morning to trim the charred wicks, to add the fresh oil, he's coming as the son of man, and as a man, he can sympathize with our weaknesses. He can be touched with the feeling of our weaknesses. He understands what we're going through. He understands what we're thinking. He understands the afflictions and the persecutions that we're enduring. And he's touched. And he comes to, uh, you know, his humanity is so fine. So, he doesn't throw people under the bus. <laughs> he, he shepherds us. He cherishes us. He ministers to us supplies us and uh, i just put this last verse here lamentations 3 let's read this all together it is jehovah's loving kindness that we are not consumed for his compassions do not fail they are new every morning great is your faithfulness they are new when every morning every morning, every morning. well as we receive the Lord's shepherding of us, then we are enabled and equipped to shepherd others. And that's the last point on the page, ministering the unsearchably rich Christ to others in shepherding them for the building up of the body of Christ to consummate the new Jerusalem. You know, have you ever considered before that the new Jerusalem is one gigantic lampstand? That's how the whole Bible ends. The, the New Jerusalem, I don't know if you knew this, Reese. We're, we're just giving you a sweeping vision from Genesis and Exodus all the way to Revelation, the last two chapters. You have a mountain of gold, and at the top of that mountain is the throne of God and the Lamb. Of course, the Lamb is Christ. And it says God is the light and the Lamb is the lamp. You know what a lamp does? A lamp diffuses the light. If we were just to be in the presence of the light of God, we would be vaporized immediately. Right? It tells, I mean, in 1 Timothy 6.16, it says, God dwells alone in unapproachable light. You cannot approach that light. But praise God, there's a Redeemer on the throne as a lamp to diffuse the light, to make the light less intense more comfortable, more pleasant, more enjoyable. It is enjoyable and comfortable to be in the light of God. This is the new Jerusalem at the end of the Bible. This is what we're becoming, brothers and sisters. This one gigantic lampstand. Amen. I know you've been getting into your Bible studies about how this is the bride of Christ and so forth. Yes, that's true. But it's also a lampstand testifying the light of God for eternity to the entire universe. Praise the Lord. Well, um, I think we'll stop here, give you some time in some small groups, uh, maybe spend about 10 minutes to read the portions on the back and maybe consider some of the questions. And of course, you can tell my burden tonight is that we would spend time with the Lord in the morning. We would spend time to touch him, to open to the high priest, to let him come to us as the son of man with his golden instruments to trim away the charred wick and add the fresh oil so we could brightly shine in our daily life. But it starts first thing in the morning. Amen.